Join Greenbook at the 2024 Insight Innovation Exchange Conference Series. IIEX is your global hub for connections, inspiration, and innovative solutions in market research. Visit greenbook.org events to learn more about events in Asia, the Americas, and Europe. Use the code PODCAST for 20% off general admission on all upcoming events. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Green Book Podcast. I am Lenny Murphy, your host, and I am sure glad that you have chosen to spend some time with, uh, with us today. And by us... I mean, our guest. Today, it is my, my honor, my privilege to have uh, one of the, the greatest guys in research, a good friend over the years, uh, Will Leach, the founder of MindState Group. Will, welcome. Hey, Lenny. Good to see you again. Good to uh, be on the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's going to be a fun conversation, I hope. Abs- well, we'll see. We'll, we'll do our best. <laughs> but I- Between you and I, we could probably talk all sorts of different things, which is funny. It's going to be good for the audience, but hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll provide some value, you know? Hopefully, hopefully. So <laughs> for those who uh, attend IEX events, uh, particularly our IEX behavior event, Will is probably somebody you're intimately familiar with because we, like a black hole, we sucked him into our uh, our uh, event horizon long ago. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and have, Will's always exposed through our stuff because he's just so smart. But for those who don't, know you will. Why don't you talk a little bit about your background and about MindState Group? Yeah. So I've been in the marketing research field the better part of 25 years now, which sounds very weird to me, but that is the truth. I started off in the US military and then I found my way into uh, different universities in the world of economics. So I am a classically trained economist and went into the field of marketing research, client side, right? Did work in biotech, energy, and I found my way to a small little company called PepsiCo, Lenny. And PepsiCo, I did the normal traditional research roles where I got to run Shopper Insights for a while and brand insights and innovation roles and things like that. But around 2007, we invested heavily in neuroscience and behavioral economics, a term that was not popular at all. Very few people really knew about this, myself included. But it was a role that I took and um, I got to run a laboratory down in Dallas, Texas, that we just ran behavioral science experiments. And we ran experiments again and again in neuroscience experiments where we were testing at one point, Lenny, we stopped doing ad testing. You know, it's kind of traditional ad testing. We were doing everything neurologically, ad testing, concept testing, taste tests, et cetera. I don't know if that was the good thing to do, but I was exposed to these science very early and I fell in love, man. I could not stop reading about this because if classically trained economics is about finding utility, right? And that's what I was learning to do in research. I ask people, what do you want? And they tell me, and like, would you buy it at this price? And they tell me, and I kind of record that information. Well, behavioral sciences was very clear that that's not really how people make decisions. And so I looked at my degrees and all the student loans I had and thought, oh my God, I'm paying on student loans that don't make any sense anymore, but it created a passion in me. So I started a company. I left PepsiCo in 2012 because they wanted me to take another role, frankly. And I was, all I could think about was behavioral sciences. And so I started a company not not long afterwards called Trigger Point, which turned into the MindState Group. And so the MindState Group is a behavioral research and communications consultancy, right? We specialize in understanding non-conscious factors that drive human behavior. But more importantly, and the part where I got most passionate about was that I wanted to use these insights to advanced communications, marketing, to give marketing researchers the power to not just provide insights, but to provide behavioral design 
And that's why I wrote my book, Marketing and Mind States, to try to train people and, and marketing researchers in particular, how to not only uncover these non-conscious insights that are incredibly important, but to apply that insight into marketing communications, customer experiences, even innovations. I've even done some innovation work on that too. So I've been doing that for the better part of 10 years now. Again, can't believe it, but it's my passion and it's kind of how I make a living and a good living at that. Very, very cool. And for our listeners, you've probably just gotten a taste of why Will is so uh, so sought after as a speaker. He's just so much fun and engaging. You practice what you preach, my friend. You're very good at triggering emotions through your own enthusiasm. So well, when it's passion, it helps. As I tell my students, I, I teach at you know, two universities now at SMU as well as Texas A&M. And they'll oftentimes ask me kind of what's the secret, you know, in some in some way, what's the secret to success in life or in business or whatever. And I'm always like, find your passion and monetize it. And so I got lucky where I found my passion. And now I'm, I'm, I'm you know, thankful that I can do this with my life. All right, sensei will. Now I'm going to refer to you now. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah, we'll go into you know relationships soon, all sorts of things I can help you out. <laughs> <laughs> well, good Lord, we all use help with that, right? But, yeah, really. <laughs> so for the listeners, you may have noticed an inadvertent trend recently of talking about behavioral science and things like culture and neuroscience. We didn't do it on purpose, I promise. But there is... An interesting thing happening from my view in the industry, and we'd like to get your your take on this, is that this, to your point, we've had tools to do these things for a pretty long time now, right? Um, They've gotten more scalable, they've gotten better, they've gotten cheaper, faster, et cetera, et cetera. And we've had a contextual framework through, well, I mean, lots of different ones, right? In psychology, you know, we've had Jungian archetypes, we've had Maslow's hierarchy, we've had lots of different views, and, and of course, Kahneman's work on System 1, System 2 that has informed this, but the industry seemed to be very tactically focused, just blocking and tackling on things. And all of these approaches, there were early adopters that were utilizing them like PepsiCo, and they've grown in adoption, but not they haven't become central to the insights organization. And I think that is changing. And I think it was actually, as in so many things, it was 2020 that kicked it into overdrive. That need to understand people in a fundamental way that traditional research approaches and traditional research frameworks weren't delivering on. And I think we're seeing an explosion now of companies that are really embracing this big bucket that we call, I call applied behavioral science, right? And it's the combination of the, uh, in my mind, of the tools that are more neuroscience focused and the conceptual frameworks that are more behavioral science focused overall. So do you, do you agree? Is that, am I imagining this, this momentum, this growth, or are you experiencing that as well? No, yeah, I I am. And I I also would say it's also being driven by many clients today want more out of their researchers than just say, here's the big consumer insight and recommendations. What they want to know is that their research or their insights, you know, investments are driving top line revenue growth. And the way to do that is to not show up with a pretty presentation that says, here are the top five reasons why your customers act the way they are. That's interesting. That's actually really cool. I shouldn't even, I shouldn't downplay it. That's actually really cool. But what's more important, I think, is taking on, and I talk about in my book, Marketing Mind States, taking on the role of a behavioral designer. 
And I always say we as researchers are fundamentally kind of designed, if you will, to fit this need. We are absolutely 100% ready to do this because we study human behavior every day. Nobody else gets that role. And so when you have a CMO out there who is saying, you know, I could invest an extra $100,000 or $1 million in my research group, but am I going to get ROI? Because they're being held accountable for ROI and their marketing spend, innovation teams as well. I think now that researchers are starting to gravitate more towards here's my insights, plus here's what I go do about it. And that would be, in my world, it's called behavioral design. There's other, other terms for it, but it's actually application of these things into communications. Frameworks are getting smarter. It used to be, you know, the very basic frameworks, right? Right, Lenny? System one versus system two. And that helps you understand how, how decisions are being made. But I sat there even back in my days of PepsiCo and going, cool, that's really interesting stuff. Now what? Like, and, and I remember doing ZMETs. I remember doing, we had a culture anthropologist on staff, but we didn't really know what to do. Now we do. 10 years later, there are tons of professors doing experiments every single day on how to apply these behavioral science concepts, these neuroscience concepts to change behaviors. And you just got to have a weirdo like me, weirdo like you, who will read these studies, see what they're doing, and do our own experiments. And I think that experimental culture is starting to make its way into corporate America as well, at least with my clients for sure. So my clients are asking for those insights. Now they're saying, hey, can you go ahead and redesign a landing page for me based upon your insights? Like really redesign. They're asking the researcher to give me the words, the visuals that I should use, knowing that their agency will tweak them. That was not around a decade ago when I was in corporate America. They would ask for insights and that was it. So I think we have the ability, the tools allow us to get us there and we have the right because we study human behavior every day. I couldn't agree with you more. And since I asked the question, you said, yes, of course. But what's interesting is for so much of the, the history of the industry, we'd go through these phases of, of experimentation and innovation, and then it became IP. And then it became currency within an organization. Think about ad testing, right? The uh, Miller Brown ad test, Nielsen ratings, uh, you know, hell, MPS, right? All of those things started as, as innovative approaches, then they were scaled and they became IP and they became and by currency, I mean, they became internal KPIs and benchmarks integrated into the organization. You didn't move off of them. And, you know, we got fixated on benchmarks and all that, that good stuff. And imagination and creativity within the insights organization, particularly on the, the buyer side, I think was sometimes compromised by that industrialization. Maybe that's a better way to, to, to kind of frame it up of, of the research process. And now we're moving out of that, nothing moving out of it. Uh, I, I think it's an interesting dichotomy where we are, where obviously folks want the speed and cost efficiencies of the industrialization, right? And a lot of the tools that we have used traditionally to deliver non-conscious measurement are getting there now, right? It's not expensive to do facial coding. It's not expensive to do implicit testing, voice analysis, text analytics, all of these different things that we use, uh, you know, eye tracking, they're scalable now. They're easy to deploy. It's ubiquitous. The consumer technology enables that, et cetera, et cetera. But I think what, what's happened is the more we industrialize or scale these tools, the more we recognize the need for creativity in understanding, well, what the hell does it really mean? And 
what do we do with it going forward? Where do we go from here? What's next overall? And that is what excites me, and I expect excites you, is we are seeing this cultural change occur within brands, with between the combination of the marketing organization and the insights organization to unlock creativity, that, that spirit of experimentation that you talked about, to really deliver something more. That I think we always had some fuzzy idea we could get to, but we didn't have the ability to. And now we're seeing the merging of the benefits of industrialization. Again, I'm using that word too often, but I think it, it still kind of sums up what we're doing with this creative urge to now understand in a deeper way than just what the data tells us. What do you, am I, am I full of it? No, I'm glad you said dichotomy because I was, before you said that, I was going to say, I'm not so sure if I believe this. But let me give you an example. I was sitting in the offices of Amazon a couple of years ago. Gosh, I can't believe it. It's probably five years ago. And we were talking about behavioral science and understanding the why. And it was a, a comment that was made in the room that said, we don't really need that because we can test our way into understanding. They do so much A-B testing that the comment was like, why would we have to understand why? Why don't we just go do A-B testing? And so they use, I'm, I'm, this is not the example they use, but I'll give you the example that I use. They go, well, we can test whether a red button works better than a green button. And we can just do tests and we can run 50 of those tests a day if we wanted to and have as much information as we need. So the idea was like, why do we need marketing research? And if you know Amazon, they really don't do, even to this day, a ton of marketing research. They do this kind of idea of using processes and quick iterations, experiment design to do A-B testing. And I said in the meeting, yeah, but I think we might be asking the wrong question. You guys are asking the question, which button works best? My behavioral scientists would suggest that our button's the right thing or is there something totally different? And that was this kind of weird pause in the room. It's like, I go, what you're doing is because of the industrialization, as you said, of technologies or whatever, we sometimes ask the wrong questions because of efficiencies and the methodology itself versus asking the bigger and broader question is, are buttons even the right thing to use? Or is there something totally out there that's more dynamic than that? Than that? And if you industrialize your research, you'll never find those things. So what I think there is, is a dichotomy. There are certainly organizations that have invested in processes and getting these standards set up, do-it-yourself things, so they can do things very, very quickly. But as you said, that there's this other area of marketing research that's growing. In fact, it's exploding in that, okay, is that even the right question to ask? And beyond that, and which we'll talk about is that process of, you know, this idea of moving from our job is to understand and predict human behavior to no, our job is to create advertising or our job is to create solutions as a researcher, guys, not as a business person, as a researcher. And the way you do that, I believe, is through the study of human behavior, which would be behavioral sciences. So I think before we we're only limited to understand and predict human behavior, which makes that industrialization side of marketing research do pretty well, right? It does a pretty good job, especially with the ability now with scaling of AI and text analytics and stuff like that. I don't think it's it's moved its way too far, but I think that is the future into not only do we recommend, how can we as researchers make the actual edits that have been psychologically and neurologically optimized to marketing or to solutions, you know, or to innovation and to eventually you say, you know what, we want you to lead the behavioral design of our advertising. There's no reason why we shouldn't do that. It doesn't mean I have to go learn Photoshop, right? I can have any agency do that, or I can just have artificial intelligence do that stuff for me right now because it's actually available today. So I think that there's going to be this, this dichotomy where you were either very, you know, industrialized researcher, get to the bottom line as fast as you can, cheaper, faster, better quality research, and then this more aspirational, 
you know, be solutions driven, see foresight. I, I think those used to be seen as two different entities. I think very soon those things are converging. They just are. And then what's going to add onto that? Solutions, application, show me the ad. I did this research. I don't want to test my ad. I just want to know that when I send that ad out, it's going to be optimized. There's no reason why we can't do that as an industry. Yeah. Uh, and I think the part of this exciting change is that we went through an era of relative stability, I think, uh, from a sociological standpoint, right, culturally. There were gradual changes, but I think we had a pretty good sense of this is what drives consumer behavior. And we had benchmarks and norms and all of those things. And I don't think it's a safe bet to say that anymore. So true. That's, yeah. I never thought about it. You're right. There's all those benchmarks don't make any sense anymore. Yeah. And, and, and I guess your point too, Lenny would be, and is it ever right to rebenchmark? I don't know. Like, that's an interesting question. Should we rebenchmark again? It take you 20 years, 10 years to rebenchmark. Maybe benchmarks is the wrong question to have answered. Yeah. Well, and you know, even as the, you know, it's, it's kind of the, the old solve each generation looks at the, you know, the generation coming up and oh, I don't understand you. And, but you know, so that, that has always been true. There have been generational and cultural chain you know, sh shifts. It appears, in my mind, to be accelerating. Um, it was already accelerating through lots of different forces, you know, technology and, and economics, et cetera, et cetera. And I think it's accelerating even more now. And maybe we can point to COVID as, a, as an inflection point, maybe not but it, it at least seems to be a, a convenient frame of reference to say around this time, we saw the beginning of an acceleration of change, which means the need to understand is more important than ever because it is, we can't rely on old knowledge is not necessarily accurate knowledge at this point. And, you know, there's a part of me that kind of freaks out about that. You know, it's like, Oh my God, all this change. What? There's a bigger part, thankfully, it's a bigger part that's more excited about it. And I think that that's where what's driving the shift is that exciting component of, look, we have an opportunity now to alchemize a lot of this information and a lot of these tools and a lot of the traditional knowledge and wisdom that we have around these things in a whole new way to provide new value. And where that goes could be absolutely amazing. It could be a dystopian nightmare, right? Who knows? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> but, you know, but, I'll tell you this. I've never had a CMO or, or an executive in a company say, no, I'd rather my insights team not do that. Like, I've never seen that. They're like, you mean you could help us understand a consumer better and help us relate better with them, do better marketing, do better innovation? I'm like, yeah, it's called behavioral design. I've never had to No, that's not for us. Like, they, all, they want us to do it and nobody's doing it, Lenny. Like, nobody really is doing it. They, we've been forced through these you know, corporate structures, there's an insights group, there's a marketing group, there's an innovation group, there's an agency that we, we license. We have a couple of consultants here and there. I think those things are blended. I haven't done a research project with just researchers in a very long time, in at least two or three years. It's a combination of the marketing group and agency, like, because I think it's just because we're being forced to work together and there aren't these walls that used to, that used to be, which is great for researchers because now we want to see to the table. We're at the center of the table. We're with everybody else because right? we're not seen as necessarily different. But at the same time, then also the downside on that is how do you add value? And I keep thinking the way researchers will add value, it may not be in something that maybe a marketing uh, person learned an MBA, like how to drive a business, right? And if you don't have your MBA, that's fine. It could be how do we change human behavior? There is no top line growth outside of a change in human behavior, guys. 
by definition, there is no revenue growth outside of somebody changing a behavior. So if we understand that, we are uniquely positioned in the corporate world to provide guidance on that. That's why I think researchers have this great opportunity. We have the models and the technology, and now maybe not necessarily the influence, but the the ability anyways, to move in that role. Because CMOs are not saying, nope, that's you're going too far. They're not saying that anymore. Where back uh, 10 years ago, it was very clear what my, my line was. And I tried to go in those meetings and talk to my agency about, why'd you use that picture? I was asked to leave sometimes. Like, that's not your, your job is to test ads and tell us if we're doing good or bad. Those days are long gone. They're gone. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> that, yes, I, I agree. We have now gotten our place at the seat at the table and what we do with it uh, is, is fascinating. So let's talk about that for a minute then, because I often said a few years ago when this conversation came up of the, you know, the insights organization deserves a seat at the table. Like, well, well, why have we earned that seat at the table? It doesn't mean individual practitioners and influencers, people like Stan from, you know, Unilever. And, you know, of course they, they kind of broke down the door and, and, and there were hundreds and hundreds of cases of that. But institutionally and culturally, I would say there were challenges to doing that. And I agree with you, that's not the case now. So how do we keep earning that? How do we take the momentum to continue to transform the insights function, whether you're on the client side or the supplier side, to be able to keep delivering more value in an ever-changing world? What does that look like to you? Yeah. So to me... You know, when I when I think about kind of the future of insights, I, I kind of think back to when I started insights and to where I see insights going. When I first started insights, there was very much my job was to understand and predict. That's what our job was to do. Understand why people are doing what they're doing and predict what they're gonna do in the future. Great. So I think most research researchers are doing that pretty well. Then it was like, okay, but we need to have actionable insights. I put air quotes for the for you guys if if uh, you don't know. So actionable insights. Okay, great. So we have better recommendations. Now we're, we're getting better recommendations. I think that because of social sciences and because of behavioral economics and things like that, that allows us to be, do better recommendations than we did five years ago. And it's going to get better and better. So we're going to get better recommendations. However, you know this, in the research world, we provide a recommendation, but that recommendation only makes the company money if somebody implements that recommendation in the right way. So I may say, it's very important to use social proof. I'm making that up. And the agency goes, that nah, doesn't fit with my ad. And then my recommendation fell on deaf ears and it was never used. I think what the future will be is not only will we understand and predict and we will make recommendations, even better recommendations, our next space should be making edits. So going off and using those insights to do, we do them in our organization called behavioral audits. So I'll do a piece of research and then I'll say, give me a piece of your creative and I'm going to edit the words so that it makes sense based upon the research. So it's just taking that step forward and saying, I can do that. I can write copy. Anyone can write copy. And if you can't write copy, if you're too nervous, AI does a great job at writing copy for you right now. There's lots of tools you and I could talk about for a long time on this. So you'll make edits. And, you know, first agencies, I, I'll tell you when I first started doing that, they didn't necessarily like it, but I was very open like to saying, hey, these are my edits. You can change those edits, but I want to show you why I put those edits. It wasn't because I thought it was interesting, Lenny. It was because they mapped back to my behavioral science-based insights. So I'm using this word and this frame because of what I found out. So if you don't like my copy, at least we know, and I could teach my the agency how to do it there in their own way. Fine. Making edits is going to be a great step 
into getting more into showing the real true value of, of insights, which is the beginnings of getting into creative or getting into experiences. Then the next thing, which I always think of, and I don't know, I think we're a ways from here, but I, I could see a day because of artificial intelligence, because of text analytics and what that allows artificial intelligence to do would be that you could bypass an agency, marketing agency, and say, hey, researcher, can you just create an ad? And the guys at Neurons, Inc., you've had Thomas on the show before, they're, in, they're going in that direction. Like they, they understand so much, like they've done so much ad testing. The guys at Behaviorally are probably going in that direction. They have so much data. They've tested so many designs, so many things that they're gonna say, like at one point, you're gonna relook at that data and you're gonna use it to create solutions. You're gonna use, it's not gonna be benchmarks. It's gonna be like, why do I use, if, in case of Behaviorally, right, PRS, when did Scott's dad start the company in the 80s? So they've been doing package testing 40 years. All that data can now be used to design packaging. Why wouldn't you use that data? Now, we know that there's these big hiccups because of COVID or whatever, but I think because we have so much data and we have technology now that can take that data and make it into solutions using text, you know, AI copy or AI based uh, uh, photos and, you know, visuals, you can actually create prototypes of solutions. That to me feels like a much more exciting place for insights to be. We're always into the research, but now we're going to actually provide maybe the solutions, then hand it off to somebody to modify to make sure it's done you know, in, in the best way. I think that's absolutely right. And it's, and it's interesting. I actually had a conversation this morning with a uh, pharmaceutical company, and we were talking about visual intensity and the role for that within their portfolio of you know, tools. And you know, they were like, well, does this replace concept testing? Like, no, no, it, it doesn't. It absolutely optimizes a key component of your creative. Oh, and it's super cheap and super fast. And hell yeah, why wouldn't you do this? Right. And, and we recommended Thomas, right, to uh, do to, to that. And, but there's also, you know, there's Visit and there's the, the 3M solution. There's tons of different solutions for, for that. But optimization is not enough alone, it is key, it is important. But when you're talking about a campaign, right? The creative is part of a campaign. That campaign has lots of different dimensions. So we still need to be able to have other data inputs to optimize the campaign. You know, yeah, people are seeing it. Yep, right? you know, they're, they're, they're seeing what we want them to see within you know, that, that creative. But what are they doing with it? What about conversion, right? What's the differences in segments in their conversion? What's driving some populations versus others and you know, the action, et cetera, et cetera. And um, I felt really smart during that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> you sound very smart right now, Larry. No, thank just keep you, talking. Thank you, <laughs> I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Um, and it was, I was kind of fired up because it just kind of clicked for me, at least in that conversation of, you know, we really are looking at playing DJ, right? Oh, I love that analogy. Yeah, there's, there's different elements that, that are absolutely essential and, and discreetly they do some things just incredibly well, but collectively they work even better. And around all of that is this, this framework, this conceptual framework to tie it all together. I was just thinking when you said that, right? So imagine if we were able to tell our creative partners, these people are amazing. And they, they, bring, they bring art and science together in ways that I can't even conceptualize. The best creatives in the world can do things that are just inhuman to me. But what if we came to them and we gave them the, as researchers, we gave them table stakes. We're like, okay, here are the table stakes. 
here's where the visual saliency should be on your ad. So make sure your, your brand is in this area. Make sure that, you know, using my model, make sure that you're talking to somebody's aspirational goals very high up in your advertisement. Because if you don't talk to somebody's, if you don't speak to your customer's aspirational goals early on, you're more likely to get them to bounce because it, you're not focusing their attention. Oh, and by the way, let's make sure that we use this motivation. Let's tell them that they can be successful or they can be safe, right? And when I do that, I can maintain their attention on the ad. So somewhere in the copy ad agency, make sure that you're really confirming that they're going to be safe or they're going to be successful. Oh, we got to lower cognitive resistance, right? So how can we do that? Why don't we frame up our features in a way that tells your customer that they're going to prevent bad things from happening to them versus good things? And then, by the way, let's put in a little cognitive trigger. So that at the very end somewhere, when some of you created that emotional arousal, that they will click the button because you told them that there's some scarcity in there, right? That limited time only. What if we were able to go to our creative agencies with those table stakes? And then you said, I just want you to put this in a, in a way that now use all your creative expertise to make this beautiful and to make it feel so intuitive that scientifically, from a behavioral science perspective, it's perfect. But from the heart level, the, the, like the, the part that just grabs people you can focus on that. Like, how can you imagine how much better our creative would be and how much more effective it would be if we just gave them the table stakes and the models allow us to do it now? They allow us to do it. Like you just said, you, there's models and it's efficient. It's easy. You just need to have a framework that makes sense, you know, and you got to find out your framework. We have ours. Other people have theirs. But that to me is the most important thing we could do. And then give our agencies that information, which they're crying for, by the way, they love when they see this stuff. Now, like, now you're telling me I got to make sure that somebody feels successful. And you're telling me that their aspirational goals are here. And I got to frame, frame this up my offers as a way of eliminating bad things. They go crazy on that stuff. They love that kind of me. And then they go off and get really creative and create incredible stellar ads. That to me feels like a much more impactful service we could provide our organizations, you know? Yeah, agreed. And I would just add in with everything that you said. So like your example of safety. That is different for different populations. So again, why it's important that we still need to understand segments, right? We still need to understand, you know, I think we're far away from technologically, well, maybe not that far, to that perfect world of delivering the right message to the right person at the right time, at scale, individually. I think we're, we're not quite there yet. You know, we thought we'd be there by now, but we, you know, for a variety of reasons, we're not. But that being the case, so, so we still need to understand populations at a macro level because we're not quite there at an individual level yet. So we'll get there. And that still means that traditional research approaches still have value, right? Absolutely. And in, uh, in doing those things, um, but also through this lens of understanding motivations and values and all of those things, because we are different. So I, I'm sure our listeners are you know, kind of sitting here in this now, right? This summer, we, we bought a small farm in very rural Kentucky. And there is a, a different value driver in for these populations now versus living in a you know suburban population outside of Atlanta, right? I mean, people just do things differently. That they may be wired the same, but how those signals are translated is different. Oh yeah. Now it's something that we don't focus on, I think, enough is is I would claim as like cultural, cultural anthropology, but understanding that I could understand, like I love your example, right? Security, but how security comes to life for somebody in a rural farm community is very different than like you said in the inner city of a large inner in in of a large city right so totally get it um, I'm working on a project right now as a matter of fact where we're grappling with that a little bit where we're talking about a new rebrand and they're talking about well what what happens if 
we have this major rebrand, but we we uncover that the core motivation driving people to buy in that category is different. I'm like, it's going to be different, guys. I, we can just tell you it's going to be different. So we have a couple of decisions to make. One, you're going to be very specific to only one group. They didn't like that answer, but I totally get it. It's a big company. Got it. Or we're going to find that almost like doing the, the, the Venn diagram, right? Trying to figure out our solution for that motivation that would translate not as perfect, but it would translate for all populations. And that's the point I said, I think we need people from, and that's not what I do, but we got to bring in somebody who understands cultural and cultural anthropology, stuff like that, because I could do all the behavioral science research in the world talking about motivations, but it won't be translated correctly because I don't understand the culture of California because I live here in Dallas and I can pretend like I do, but I really don't. <laughs> right. Yes. I, try living among the Amish. What are you talking yeah. about? Culture shock, right? It, it is a, <laughs> but those are a whole other topics. So, all right, we're, we're, we're kind of boiling the ocean here, but it's it's exciting and fun. Uh, and I want to be conscious of your time and, and time of our listeners as well. So we're recording this at uh, the, the tail end of, well, it's the last day of November, right? So the, the, we're at the end of 2022. What does the year ahead look like for you? Anything that you want to share? And then I have a follow-up question on that. So here's where my passion is right now. It comes to text analytics. Guys, I believe that text analytics is the most underappreciated, but highest, most important technology that we're going to have in the marketing research space. Why? Because I, I think you saw this stat too. I, there was this major study that said something around 75% of all company data is unstructured, meaning it's conversations. It's whether it's call center conversations, social media conversations, et cetera. So if you're not studying unstructured data, like people's words, if you're not collecting that and analyzing that, you're missing out on 75% of all your insights. Okay, so if that's the case, what I'm excited about is understanding through behavioral science, how to take that, that unstructured data, these conversations, and then running them through a model to identify core insights. Now, my insights, of course, are understanding people's mindsets. I'm always focused on people's goals, their motivations, their regulatory approach, and any cognitive heuristics. But there's a lot, tons of other things you can find out, emotions, whatever. I love that. And I think it's going to be a core thing. And we've got kind of a basic model right now, Lenny. It's not great, but it's a good basic model to run data through very efficiently. But here's what I love about it. I'm always going to go back to application. So I have models that will take all this unstructured data to identify a mind state. What if I know my customer's mind state, my, my, my client's saying, hey, I want to activate on this mind state. I can just re-engineer that model to say, then what words should I use in copy? And I can press a button to make copy that has been optimized by that mind state. That's what I'm gonna focus on. I'm hopefully working with the guys at Neurons to do something similar with what they're doing. I mean, they're kind of doing the same thing. They've done so much testing that eventually they're gonna move down the space of you know, neurologically, creating neurologically optimized ads. I'm trying to do the same thing because unstructured data guys, and Lenny, I think you've been talking about this for a decade, I bet, a long time, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, long time. And I've only yeah. been thinking about it in the last year. So m some of my stuff may be very like, no duh, Will. But the, the, when I heard that stat, that 75% of all data is unstructured, you've got to be taking advantage of that. And I think there's a better thing of taking advantage of just like, oh, let's uncover what emotions or what's the key topic people are talking about. I think that's a nice start. More important to me is using that data to understand the psychology of somebody. And then because I have all this unstructured data, let me go create a little button that I press that now creates copy because I have all those words anyways, that's been optimized for you. I'm going to spend my time focused on that and my innovation focused on that. Because I think, again, that gets my customers and where I want to be is more in the application side. Totally agree. There's actually um, it's a company called Yabble. 
you should check out. Um, we've okay. used Yavel within. We, we have two text analytics partners we work with in Grit. One is Canvas, and they do an amazing job. The other is Yavel. They do different things. What I like about Yavel is that I can query the platform. So here's, you know, free Yavel folks. Here you go. Here's a free shout out. It, it can analyze the data. And within Grit, I would then have a, it's, it's called Hey Yavel, and would say, I, I could write a question, a query of, what defines innovation in market research? And it freaking writes it, right? It analyzes the data and it composes the, the answer and it's pretty spot on, right? So by, by simply analyzing the, the terms and, and everything and it puts that out. Now, to your point, what happens when you've, you've taken that to the next level when you're almost doing... Remember earlier this year, I think it was this year, the uh, the whole kerfluffle of whether or not Google had created a, a sentient AI system. Remember that? Um, now, I, I don't know whether they did or not, but I read the interview that the programmer had with that system. And I mean, it, you know, it could have passed the Turing test from my perspective. Whether it did or didn't was irrelevant. The point was that the technology exists effectively off of unstructured data, off of text, you know, for a system to turn it around and be contextually accurate, right? To deliver a response, you know, that felt organic and appropriate, including emotional resonance, emotional valence in that. So I think you're you're at, you're spot on. I mean, the technology exists to do it. Yeah. So I love that, you guys. It's not just being used. Maybe Yabble uses it as a way of you know bringing insights from all this stuff. But like you said, it's what if you re ask the query, tell my customer why they should buy my product. Boop, 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 boop. Bam. That's crazy. Like that. And that stuff is available right now, obviously. So yeah, that's, that's where, that's where I'm going to focus on for sure. For, for next year. I just, it's where my passion is. I love teaching. I still get to teach and stuff. So I love all that stuff. I love speaking, but I think I'm going to go down the, the path of unstructured data. Okay. I think that it's uh yeah, that's it's a smart thing. So, uh, all right. Well, then it's good. I was going to ask you. Uh, you, <laughs> you said no, my like, or I could just keep doing ad testing. I can do that too if you guys want me to. <laughs> <laughs> no, my son, go forth from here with my blessing. You are. Yeah, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm really not that arrogant, but I think that you're right. I think that the demand has been there, and technology is now allows us to to do those things, and it's people like you that will unlock that value. So, and Thomas, right, uh, and, and other companies. All right, now. Step back. That's that's your your view. Play Nostradamus for a minute. What do you think the year ahead brings for the industry? What do you expect to see over the you know, let's just say not the year ahead, but the foreseeable future? A measurable change that we will be able to point to and say this is an important shift that has occurred within our industry. It's a great question. The first thing that popped in my head was I know that COVID brought in a lot of investment in platforms for do-it-yourself. And some of those platforms are pretty damn good, you know, and they, they meet a need for corporations and they still, they, they still do meet a need for corporations. And I think that is to some people, that kind of change has made some researchers out there feel a bit marginalized where they used to want to be more creative and more strategic. And now they're asked to do project work. What I'm hoping and what I'm starting to see actually now is that these platforms, there's a lot of competition and there's fewer clients that are using them again and again because things have changed since COVID. I think that maybe the the final kind of outputs and the vision 
wasn't totally successful. And other ones, I think just researchers are saying, okay, we can have a group of people doing that, but now what? Kind of that point. I think next year for a lot of corporate researchers will be that now what pivot. Now that now what pivot could be data analytics. It could be what we're talking about. I don't know what it would be, but I feel like there's this desire in corporate research departments to say, I want to do more than just projects. I want to do more. I don't know what that more is. I'm hoping it's behavioral design. I can make a case for it, but there's something out there that makes me feel like there's going to be a pivot. It's not going to be a rejection of do-it-yourself. That is, I think that's here. I think there's a big role for do-it-yourself in these big platforms. I think those will be squeezed. I bet we'll get down to a fewer number of those platforms like in anything. But I think that there's going to be a pivot. Next year is going to be a pivot and probably the year after that is going to be a bigger pivot. And then we'll see what the big next thing is, whether that's neuroscience or behavioral science or whatever that is. So I think the next two years are going to be big for the big see where we, where we take ourselves, you know? There's a few directions as an industry, but I do know this. We can't be stagnant. We can't be stagnant as an industry or we'll be marginalized again. And we'll be talking about getting our seat at the table like we did 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, you know, the, and the promise of those platforms was to free us to be able to be more creative, you know, to be more strategic, to engage those things, to take away some of the drudgery that, you know, of, of Have research. you seen that, Lenny? I don't know. So, I, I, sometimes <laughs> I hear about that, but I haven't seen that as much. So the data, and we ask about this in grit, right? There are indications that that is happening. Okay. Uh, there's also indications that companies have just shifted to doing more with less. And yeah, yeah, that, you know, oh, well, we, you did, you know, 10 projects for a million bucks the old way. Well, let's do 30 for a million bucks and, and still getting kind of caught in that, that project role. But there's also equal indication that, as you said, it's not, you know, the researcher is involved in a broader group. It's multidisciplinary and across the organization and is being involved more within strategic thinking and strategic research. And I think that is driven by the pragmatic imperative that, you know, there is no stability in the world right now. In so many ways, things are still just changing and brands recognize that they still need to understand in a way that they that they can't rely on thinking that they already know what's going on. So circumstantially, I think there's, there is driving a need for the researcher to take a more active consultative role to try and figure out why, right, what's happening. Well, at the same time, you know, okay, well, now we can do 100 ad tests this year or last year. We could have only done 20 and you still have to do that. That tension is still going to be there. It's that industrialization dichotomy we talked about before. So it's still in play. But I, I think that we'll get to that same place that you're that you're talking about. Well, what did I not ask or bring up that you were hoping that I would? I would just say if you have if you're listening to this and you're like, I've never heard about behavioral sciences, like what should I go do? How should I go learn? I, I would tell you this. One is read, start reading. That's what I started doing. So if you go to mindstategroup.com backslash resources, I have a, I have a list of books that in podcasts and things to listen to. So if you're into this stuff and you want more information, read. Secondly, there's programs all out there. I mean, there's, there's like, there's one at Texas A&M university where you can do a, a program. There's the MMR programs, there's Yale. So there are lots of programs out there, guys, that are very reasonable for you to get like a very quick understanding of how these sciences are impacting your life, our culture, our industry, third podcasts like this. Uh, there's lots of behavioral science podcasts. Um, Lena Palmer has a great podcast, uh, the Brainy Business, and all sorts of different my podcasts. There's podcasts you can listen to, but also just reach out. 
there are so many people now. I mean, there's like 41 companies now, I think in Green Book, last time I looked, that are saying that they do behavioral sciences and they would love to talk to you about, you know, broader topics around behavioral science. I teach it myself. So reach out. What I, what I mean to say is I had to learn this stuff myself because it was just kind of in books at Amazon. That's how I kind of learned in academic. I went to Google Scholar. Now there's all these people, tools, podcasts, books. There's so many resources you can go to. And if you're looking for a place to go to, mindsetgroup.com backslash resources, there's at least a list. I think it's, it's called like a my reading list, but there's a list of books and podcasts and, and, and blogs that would be interesting for you. And I do it in a way that helps my students, which is very high level stuff. And it gets into more specific stuff as you go. So go learn if, if you love this stuff, because uh, if you have a passion, if you find your passion like I did, you could change the entire industry. And this behavioral science space allows you, I think, to do that. So hopefully if you found a passion, lots of resources out there to go help you on your journey. Very cool. And I assume that's also where people can just find you. Any, uh, oh, yeah. Any... <laughs> that's probably good, too. Yeah. Mindsetgroup.com. <laughs> yeah. LinkedIn. Will, Will Leach on LinkedIn. You can find me there, too. Lots of articles and papers and things like that I've written over the, over the years and lots of videos, too. And a great podcast. So. We want podcast of the year this year. I know. Do you believe you it? Do you yeah, believe I know. It? I got I was, a lot of fervent fans out there voting for me. So yeah, no, it's, it's fun. It's fun. I was a little jealous. You raised the bar. So we got a little friendly, friendly rivalry going on here now. So <laughs> yes, we do. No, it was well earned. So encourage everybody to check that out. All right. Will, thank you so much again for audience. I'm not quite sure when you're going to hear this, but we are going into the holiday season. So if we don't speak happy holidays to you and yours. I know that we will have you back because I just love talking to you. So uh, <laughs> good. Well, thank you, Lenny. I appreciate the ex experience and your time as well. Happy holidays to you out there as well. All right, folks, everybody. Uh, I want to give a, a special thanks to our producer, Natalie. She should be sainted dealing with people like Will and I on a regular basis. This was actually very problematic to get to this episode. <laughs> I won't bore you with the details, but she earned it. Our editor, James, to our sponsor, and of course, to our listeners, thank you so much. Without you, we would have no reason to get together and talk except for just purely selfish reasons. It's nice we could spin and say it's altruistic. We're trying to help people. Uh, so <laughs> thank you so much. Everybody be well. We will talk again soon on another edition of the Greenberg Podcast. Bye-bye. Join Greenbook for the 2024 Insight Innovation Exchange. This global conference series, also known as IIEX, is where connections are made, inspiration is found, and innovative solutions are discovered. With more than 90% of attendees using IIEX Insights to shape strategic business decisions, the return on investment is undeniable. Whether you're in Asia-Pacific, North America, Europe, or Latin America, IIEX is your gateway to the latest market research best practices, tech innovation, and strategies for transforming insights into action. Nurture your career and business with insights from across the globe. And here's a bonus. Use the special code PODCAST to save 20% on general admission for all IIEX events. Visit greenbook.org events today to learn more and register. See you there.